Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast, presented by SeatGeek. You'll hear from players, coaches, broadcasters, and writers that cover the NFL on a daily basis. The New Orleans Saints podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Aaron Summers. Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast. I'm Aaron Summers. The Saints have their last practice Friday before heading to Atlanta Saturday for the season opener on Sunday, 12 o'clock against the Falcons. You can catch that game on Fox or listen in at WWL 870 AM and 105.3 FM. Don't forget to tune in to our live pregame show on NewOrleansSaints.com at 11 to get you ready for the action. We'll also be back right there, NewOrleansSaints.com or across the social media platforms for post-game. We'll get into that game and a whole lot more with our guest today, recently named NFL on Prime analyst Michael Smith. Later in the episode, I catch up with Saints offensive coordinator Pete Carmichael. A few news items to get to before those interviews, the Saints agreed to terms with center slash guard Eric McCoy on a five-year contract extension. Last season, McCoy did open all 12 games he appeared in at center. The 91 sacks the Saints have given up since McCoy was drafted in 2019 are the sixth fewest in the NFL. Huge deal for McCoy. Great that the Saints were able to lock him up for five more years. On Thursday, the Saints signed guard Wyatt Davis from the New York Giants practice squad and waived offensive lineman Tanner Owen. Owen had been on the injury report earlier in the week due to an illness, non-football related injury, just unable to go this weekend. Stay tuned to at Saints on Twitter or our site NewOrleansSaints.com for additional roster changes, maybe some number changes and the latest injury report throughout the weekend. Now for our guest, Michael Smith. Smith is from right here in New Orleans and attended Loyola. He started his career covering the Patriots for the Boston Globe. He went on to spend 15 years at ESPN and then launched his own company, Inflection Point Entertainment. Smith joined the NBC family and has a podcast, Brother from Another, with Michael Holly that airs on Peacock TV. Here's Michael Smith. Michael, thank you so much for joining me on the New Orleans Saints podcast. It is always great to have a former New Orleanian, right? Is that is that what it is? Yeah, yeah I'm not from. Yeah, there, so yeah. Wait, where are you from? North Carolina. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, the only thing I would take you nailed it is New Orleanian. The only thing I would take exception to is uh, the former part. I'm always a New Orleanian okay, at heart. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it is actually it is my absolute pleasure to be with you. Aaron on the New Orleans Saints podcast. Now we didn't talk about this beforehand, and I'm okay. not sure if if it's okay to 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 bring it up with not knowing. I'm gonna open book. Okay, are you a Saints fan? Whoo! Great question. Yeah, okay, I feel like we, right. we should have probably talked about this ahead of time. No, 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 no. That's okay because I need I need to talk this out, and I okay. need I, I need to lay all my cards on the table for the listeners of this podcast. Um, especially after I just said I'm not a former New Orleanian. I don't live there anymore. I haven't lived there for 20 years. Yeah, but that's still my hometown. That's still the place that birthed me and raised me. Um, okay, I'll try to make this quick. Um, picture it. 1991, the Cha-Ching Saints uh, have won the NFC West at 11-5. and five. They're at home against this year's opening week opponent, the hated Atlanta Falcons. And Clark High School's own Michael Haynes takes a hitch route to the house, and they lose in the playoffs 27-20 in the first round of the playoffs, okay? 
So, still waiting for that home playoff game. The home, that first playoff win, I beg your pardon. Still have not won a playoff game in franchise history. I've made the playoffs a couple of times now, 87, 90, 91, but haven't won a playoff game. So, fast forward to 1992. The 12-4 and 4 New Orleans Saints are at home against Randall Cunningham's Philadelphia Eagles. They're leading 20-3 at halftime. They lose 36-20 to 20 in the Superdome. And it was at that moment, Aaron, when I said, I can't take this anymore. And mind you, I didn't grow up with bags on my head. I didn't grow yeah, up with yeah. the inks, but I just could not take being lifted up to be dropped. I could not take Lucy taking the ball away from me in the playoffs. And so at that moment, I said, I can't do it. I'm no longer a Saints fan. I was like 13 years old. I'm not, I'm not a Saints fan anymore. But, and this goes to show you how it's like your childhood, your inner child just always, it never leaves. Mm-hmm. One of the the, the three, three of the most satisfying sports experiences of my life and career in order, not, not well, in chronological order, not ranking them, chronological order, was 2000. At the time, I was an intern uh, at the Boston Globe, and I was still at Loyola, New Orleans, and I freelanced covering the Saints-Rams wildcard game. Mm-hmm. I have never heard a noise as loud as a Superdome erupting when Asakim dropped the punt. And finally, the Saints won a playoff game. And I had those chills that only a fan feels. Best feeling ever until 2006 opener against the Atlanta Falcons, home opener, home reopening, grand re re reopening of the Louisiana Superdome. Post Katrina, happened to be on the sideline. Jim Mora Jr. threw me a ball after warmups. Happened to be on the sideline when Steve Gleason blocked a punt. Mm-hmm. And I've never felt a feeling like that. I, I, I feel like I was crying on the sideline as New Orleans was reborn, if you will, on that, on that Monday night. And then, last but not least, January, February 2010, I was in Miami, not at the game, in Miami, uh, watching the game on television with my in-laws um, when Tracy Porter took back the pick six. And the, the amount of my phone's blowing up, my friends are calling, they're dancing in the streets. They're like, Mike, it happened, it happened. And I don't want to overlook the Vikings game the week before to go to the Super Bowl, but winning the Super Bowl, that was the full circle moment because I remembered all those Sundays of trying to rush my grandfather uh, out of church so we can get home and watch the Saints game. I remember my uncle having every Saints game on VHS and us just re-watching it. I remember uh, reading the Times-Picayune and reading Peter Finney and, and, and reading John DeShazer and reading, reading everybody who was, you know, John Reed, dispatches from La Crosse, Wisconsin, and the notes and who was doing well at training camp. That's when I knew I kind of wanted to cover the NFL. Um, so does that answer your question? No, I'm not a Saints fan, but I mean, come on now. <laughs> I mean, I think that was a really you know? roundabout way to say you actually are a Saints fan. I mean, you said you I mean, chills like you wouldn't get unless you were a fan. Aaron, let's just say this is the highlight of my week is being on the Saints podcast with you. Okay, let's just say I will that. take that. And I love to shout out to uh, my colleague, John DeShazer, who's still writing covering the saints my dog yeah my dog you mentioned it yeah grew up here you went to loyola 
And then you go and you cover the Patriots for the Boston Globe. 2001, I think you said you were an intern in 2000, 2001, official year there as a writer, Tom Brady's first year as a starter there. Mm -hmm. Did you have any idea at that point what was going to unfold over the next, well, 100 years that he's still playing? <laughs> no, God, no. <laughs> um, no. Uh, that, and that was another special moment because that Super Bowl 36 was played in New Orleans. So I graduated from Loyola in May of 2001, February of 2002. I'm back in New Orleans covering the Super Bowl for the Boston Globe. No, I mean, because you got to remember, they were five and five. Mm-hmm. Um after a loss to the Rams in prime time and they win every game, the rest of the regular season, there's a tuck rule game, which I was there at Gillette stadium. Excuse me. It was actually still Foxborough stadium. Hadn't moved into the new place till the mm-hmm. next year. I'm at that game, digging out my car from a snowstorm. Still can't believe what I saw. The following game at Pittsburgh, they win um, with uh, a punt return for a touchdown and a block field goal for a touchdown. And with, Drew Bledsoe coming off the bench to throw a touchdown pass. And then in the Super Bowl, they beat the greatest show on turf with a pick six and a first-year starting quarterback leading a two-minute drive when a great John Madden said he should take a knee. And, I, and I, I, I sat in the press box, the auxiliary press box, watching Adam Minitari's field goal coming in my direction. I'm like, holy smokes, what just happened? Mm-hmm. So I truly believe, Aaron, that that was a flash in the pan. It was probably from, a, and no disrespect, because some of those players went on to the Hall of Fame. Richard Seymour, Ty Law, uh, of course, Tom Brady will, will, will get there. Belichick's the greatest of all time. But at the time, it was considered the least talented, quote unquote, Super Bowl team in history. Mm-hmm. So absolutely not could I have envisioned that that was the beginning of the dynasty. We look at what Tom Brady has done and the fact that he's decided to come back yet again much you know to the chagrin of saints fans here in the nfc south why y'all i mean y'all own him we do the saints own, i mean you know <laughs> what y'all worried about that's good news for y'all <laughs> it, it's it's actually looking like it's gonna be good news and it's gonna be just fine for us but yeah. with the way that the nfc south is shaping up for this season what are your projections on how it's gonna stack up well um you know, I, I stopped betting against Brady a long time ago, and now I bet with Brady. I mean, and if not for uh, a poorly timed blitz and a great throw from Stafford to Cup, they may have raised the Lombardi again last year in Tampa, um, given, you know, just how Brady comes through in big games. And so my official prediction, and it's only official because I did it on camera yesterday, was – that the Bucs would win the Super Bowl this year over the Bills. The AFC part of that certainly looks good after last night. Yeah. So that's my official prediction. And I'm not just playing to the crowd here when I say this, though, but, like, the Saints, I, I can't even call them a sleeper team because if you don't see how much they're set up for success this year, then you're just really not paying attention. You're literally asleep at the wheel. I love their roster. I mean, look, they were 5-2 and two with Jameis last year before he gets hurt. And that's with no receivers to speak of. All of a sudden, one could argue that they're pretty loaded at receiver with Michael Thomas back, Chris Olave, maybe the most polished rookie receiver in this class, at least based on the projections. Mm-hmm. And LSU's own Jarvis Landry. Taysom Hill playing the position he should be. I'm glad, you know, they moved on from that whole, 
you know, platooning Wildcat quarterback thing. Now he's a tight end, and, you know, we'll see what else he does. Um, I saw Alvin Kamara um, say he's maybe more explosive, maybe faster, and that's just on offense. We know that the line has is, 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 is always been solid. Defensively, they could have one of the best defenses in the league, and I think the continuity of Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael, this is a team that really – I don't, I don't think it's going to catch people off guard. I think people in the NFL know that you better put, you better chat, buckle up your chin strap, excuse me, when it's time to play the New Orleans Saints, offensively and defensively, what they can do in terms of being physical with the running game and on defense. So I, I could see a world in which the Saints win a division, and I could easily see a world in which the Saints go on a run in the playoffs. I like both of those worlds. I think a lot of people were slow on the Saints because they didn't know about the new head coach, you know, you hear a new head coach, no more Sean Payton, and you kind of freak out. And then you think about the yeah. end to Jameis Winston, what is his true health status going to be this upcoming season? But as it's starting to play out a little bit over training camp, over some of the preseason games, what people have been hearing, seeing, people are definitely starting to get on board. And I am definitely a fan of that. I think that the Saints have an opportunity this season to, to make some noise. And the players themselves have been saying that anytime that you talk to them. So it's going to be exciting to see what happens this Sunday against the Falcons. What are your thoughts on that? You, asked me, you know, the, the rivalry. Go ahead. Well, real quick, I, I just wanted to say, um, I see some kind of some parallels, if you will, with the Saints and the Patriots in 01, specifically when it comes to the head coach. Um you know, Bill Belichick, when he was hired in 2000, mm -hmm. that was universally deadpan, if I'm saying, if I'm using that right. That was usually, that was universally criticized as a, as a, as a, as a retread. Like, what is Robert Kraft doing hiring the guy that flamed out in Cleveland? The, the, the grumpy old man that, you know, had an awful relationship with the media and, you know, what he did in Cleveland is actually rather underrated, especially the people he developed as coaches. Um, and so Kraft hires him to succeed Pete Carroll, who succeeded Bill Parcells, and he goes on to be the greatest coach of all time. I'm not saying Dennis Allen is going to be the greatest coach of all time, but I'm saying the biggest question around the Saints is Sean Payton's gone, and here's Dennis Allen, who you know didn't have a great first stint as a Raiders coach, but a lot of people don't succeed as a Raiders coach. Um, and so here's Dennis Allen with another shot, mm -hmm. probably better, probably wiser, more seasoned, you know, in a better situation. He's been there for several years as a continuity. Um, the players obviously respect to respect him and respond to him. Same for Jameis Winston. Um, everything I've seen from Jameis and we get a kick out of his, you know, anatomy lessons or what mm -hmm. have you, he's, he's so colorful. But the players really respond to him and, and, and they follow him and they rally around him. So they still have that leader that they had for so long in Drew Brees at the quarterback position. So I uh, just love I love the makeup of this team. There's the talent, but I love the what I'm at least what I'm seeing from afar, the chemistry, the, the, uh, the togetherness when it comes to this group. To answer your question about this matchup with the Falcons, um, you know, I, I don't have to waste time on the. Well, you know, it's a division game. Mm. You can't take anybody lightly. Uh, you know, nobody's giving the Falcons much of a chance. So, you know what? This could be a, 
you know, an upset alert. I, I see the Saints winning this game because I think they overcompensate for the lack of hype around the Atlanta Falcons because it's the Falcons. Like Saints fans don't need to know, don't need to be told what this rivalry means. You know, I remember, you know, and I think they still do it. I remember the buses to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's no rivalry in the NFL like Saints Falcons. Nothing quite like it. Um, it's got its own unique flavor, literally and figuratively. So I think the Saints, though, knowing what this rivalry means to that fan base, how tough it is to play in Atlanta, the history here. But also, man, I mean, look, you know, Marcus Mariota, Marcus Mariota could beat you. Cordero mm-hmm. Patterson could beat you. Kyle Pitts is is a unicorn at tight end. You know, they got some guys that can give you problems you know, on, on both sides of the ball, really in all three phases if you're not careful. So I think the Saints pull out probably a tougher game than the power rankings and, and the talent level would suggest, but they pull it out nonetheless because I think they go in focused, want to get off to a really good start. A new safety here, Tyron Matthew said, everybody he's talked to, everybody he knows here will be at that game in Atlanta. He said there will be buses that are going. So definitely yep. still something that they do around here. The players themselves. Search groups. Said, yeah. <laughs> but they like that underdog, you know, role mentality. They they like people to overlook them. So they were kind of saying, they don't mm-hmm. want people to start talking about us because we want to go out there and surprise people. So hopefully they're going to play like that. You know, they're, they want to make a statement in this first game. I mean, the bills definitely did last night. You look across the rest of the league. You mentioned them as one of your favorites. You know, we have Sunday night football. It's going to be Tampa Bay, Dallas, Monday night football. It's Russell Wilson going back to Seattle. There's some great matchups throughout the weekend, this opening weekend. Oh, yeah. What are you looking forward to? Yeah. There's a lot of emotion in this opening weekend. Um, I think that's what makes it so so much fun, whether it's division games or whether it's reunion or slash revenge games. Mm-hmm. So you start off with the hanging of the banner, which is, you know, emotional for the defending Super Bowl champions. Buffalo couldn't wait to play a real game again, given the way their season ended last year. You mentioned Saints Falcons, Raiders Chargers, who could forget that overtime game in that in, in the season last year. Um, the reunion such as Baker versus Cleveland. So Panthers Browns. Right. Flacco. I mean, if you want to call it a reunion, a revenge game, it's been a long time since the Raven, but Flacco and the Ravens, not at Zach Wilson's out. So Jets Ravens has some intrigue to it. You mentioned uh, Seattle, Seattle at the, uh, I mean, excuse me, uh, Denver at Seattle. So there's just a lot of emotion. There's some, there's some, uh, uh, you know, some bad blood, uh, you know, a lot of rivalry games. Um, it's a lot of marquee matchups. So, yeah, I think it's it's going to be a heck of a start to the season. Um, and, and back to your point about the whole underdog thing. I mean, isn't that New Orleans in a nutshell? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, that, that, that just, that's just fitting for what that city is, what that community has always been. Is like, you know, a lot of people are like, nobody believes in us. Nobody gives us a chance. Yeah, I mean, the Saints can legitimately say that. Saints fans can legitimately say that over the course of their history. And, I mean, even in the offseason, a guy like Jameis Winston, you know, they were in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. Mm-hmm. Would they draft a quarterback in the draft? You know, was Jay, were they really going to run it back with Jameis Winston? Who, I mean, let's not forget, this was a team 
that caused so much commotion after the first week of last season, beating the brakes off of Aaron Rodgers' and Green yeah. Bay Packers. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I think it's going to be hard for them to fly under the radar because they've been so consistently competitive for the le- for a better part of the last decade plus under Sean Payton. Forgot how long it's been since he's been there. Oh, oh, 06, actually. Or was it 05 or 06 he got there? Who's here for I think, I think 15 05. Years? 16 years. Yeah. So, for 15. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, oh, yeah, so more than almost two decades. So I mean, they're 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 quiet as it's kept. Let's say I think you'd agree, they're a flagship organization, a marquee organization when it comes to consistency and stability at head coach and quarterback. Okay, so there's some big changes there in the last couple of years. First at quarterback, now at head coach, but um, it's going to be hard for people to overlook them within the NFL. But they do have a, a bunch of guys, whether it's Dennis Allen, whether it's uh, Jameis Winston, whether it's Tyron Matthew, who collectively have chips on their shoulders. Yeah, definitely feel like this team is out to prove something. The defense will tell you that while they have been, you know, top five for the past several years, they're ready to be, want to be, think they can be number one. Do you think uh, that they have that possibility? I and mean, we saw what the Bills were able to do. Their defense has generally been pretty good. They looked great last night. I do. Um, I mean, the talent's there. Um, and we talked about the um, the continuity, mm-hmm. you know, on defense with Dennis Allen. But, I mean, if they can, if they got to stay healthy, and, I mean, that's kind of obvious. You know, guys got to stay on the field. I mean, that, that goes for just about everybody. But, I mean, you know, Marcus May, you know, I, I, I love that hit between him and, and Tyron Matthew. You can't do much better at the safety position. Um, the pass rush has always been there. I mean, Cam Jordan is, is, is ageless, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Davenport's kind of coming around these last couple of years. So, yeah, I mean, and, and again, you got a, a mastermind in Dennis Allen, you know, on defense. Um, I read an article the other day. I, I, I want to say it was Mike Sando at The Athletic. He did a phenomenal job of laying out why franchises like the Patriots, the Ravens, the Steelers, um, I forgot, it might have been another one, have been so consistently competitive and won year after year after year because they had, for the most part, defensive-oriented head coaches who paid special attention both in terms of schematics but also the roster to defense and special teams. Basically, he just correlated the success of your future Hall of Fame quarterbacks like, you know, um, Brady and Roethlisberger um, and to a lesser extent, uh, and I say lesser extent, not that they're not going to the Hall of Fame, but like Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, Mm -hmm. the years when their teams were good was when they had good defense and special teams. So so you, you can count on the Saints that bring quality defense and special teams to the table. Um, and Pete Carmichael just has to get enough out of the offense. I guarantee you they won't be last in passing again. Yeah. So if the offense can play better complementary football, that's another part of defense. Like we look at talent, we look at scheme, we look at continuity, we look at you know depth chart, all this kind of stuff. But a lot of it is, does the offense put the defense in position to pin its ears back? Buffalo got seven sacks last year without having the blitz. Oh, last night, I beg your pardon. Last night against the Rams without having the blitz. A lot, even though it was a tight game in the first half, a lot of it has to do with the offense applying pressure 
to the other team to try to keep up with that offense. So if you're the Rams, you're not running the ball realistically, and you're trying to play catch up. So we just gonna rush forward and unleash Von Miller. Right. If the Saints' offense can get them a lead or can keep them in games, that allows the defense to just be able to pin its ears back, as the cliche goes. And I think they're well equipped to do that. Yeah, it feels that way. The tide has definitely turned as far as defense being the calling card of this team over the past few years. They made last season much better than it looked like it was going to be because of the injuries. And Mm -hmm. like you mentioned, the Mm -hmm. receiving game, when your guys last year, your one, two, three receivers are now your four, five, six this year, it tells you the focus that they put on that side of the ball um, and that position group Mm -hmm. this upcoming season and how much maybe more talent is going to be out there this year. You are going to be back on prime time, a prime, so to speak, um, NFL game of the week with NFL on prime on Thursdays as a news analyst. That's the title. Mm -hmm. What is that? Yeah. What is that? (laughs) Um, Do I need to, do I need to rethink that? (laughs) Because I've had a few people ask me that question. What is what is a news analyst? Um, uh, I mean, it's hard to just put, you know, I'm just doing me, you know, on the bottom of the screen, you know, <laughs> to find I me. I love that, that though. Yeah. I, I would, I, really I, if I could, that. I would. I would, I would put, it would say Michael Smith, I'm just doing me. But honestly, it's, it was a title that I came up with because I did not want to be uh, limited or restricted to the insider title. Um, I did that once upon a time. Once upon a time, I was a newsbreaker. I was a national insider. I chased scoops. I chased stories. I broke news with the best of them, um, if I may say. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be limited to that. I want to be a storyteller. I am a storyteller. I like Mm -hmm. uh, uncovering anecdotes and nuggets. And I love having conversations with players and coaches and executives. And um, I love learning. And I love educating and enlightening uh, the viewer and the listener as best I can uh, based on my reporting. Um, And so news analysts felt like um, the right title to kind of encompass, you know, that I'm an analyst Mm -hmm. that's, you know, going to be very much a part of the conversation. But I don't want to just be your guy off in the corner saying, you know, working the phone, you know. Right. This happened five minutes ago. Now everybody knows it, but I'm tweeting it first. Like, no, no disrespect to the people who do that. I did it. You don't need that it's stress a rush. in life anymore. Yeah. Oh my God. I got three kids. I got two kids in high school, man. And a third that's, you know, driving me crazy. Like, you know, I got, I got too much. I'm, I'm 43 years old. I got a lot of stuff going on. Like Tom Brady said, you know, yeah. so I, I ain't got time to be chasing, chasing transactions anymore. So it's really, it really felt like the, the right title to describe something that I thought people would get, maybe not, maybe I need to rethink it, but, um, but also just to kind of describe the the hybrid role um, that I like to play. You kick things off um, on the 15th chargers at chiefs. If I, yeah. Yeah. Chargers at chiefs. Yep. How excited yep. are you about this new role and that endeavor? I, I'm, I'm thrilled. Um, I mean, Aaron, we talked a bit, off camera just about the journey and mm-hmm. you know trusting the process which I like I don't know how I feel about trusting the process because trusting the process comes with a level of reluctance 
um, that robs you of how rewarding it is to actually love the process. Um, and the process is, you know, the work, the grind, but it's also the adversity. And, you know, it's been a, it's been an interesting road these past, you know, four years or so um, for me, professionally, creatively, um, to where to be a part of something new and fresh and exciting um, and historic um, is just is is not even a dream come true. I could not have imagined being a part of such something that was such a big deal. Like I've been a part of some big stuff before, kickoffs and launches, debuts, nothing quite like Amazon Prime Video, Thursday Night Football, exclusive streaming home. Like no, excuse me, that that's no exclusive home, first mm -hmm. ever exclusive streamer. Like this is just. It's just it's just different. It's big. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm honored and I'm privileged um, to be a part of it. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the journey that brought me to this point. It's funny when it got announced that Prime, like Amazon Prime, they were getting in on this. My mom sent me the link and she's like, oh, maybe this is something you can do. And I'm like, mom, bless you. But like that is that is Michael Smith level. That is way above me. OK, I appreciate <laughs> you. But... Don't study yourself short. <laughs> Listen, like it's only the beginning. I mean, it's a it's it's a decade long deal, so we could be colleagues before you know it. Do not say yourself short. All right, <laughs> all right, I love that. You also big into movies. You started your own company, uh, Inflection Point Entertainment. So when are we gonna get mm -hmm. you know some movies, some stuff we can watch out here? Right. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Um, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> Talk about the process. Um, you know, it's, um, I have a greater appreciation for the movies and the documentaries that I see on screen because I realize what a lengthy labor of love those projects are. Um, I've, my patience has developed something serious since I started this company two years ago. And that was, this is startup number three. Mm -hmm. I was a partner in a startup before that and a chief content officer in the startup before that, you know? Um, so not only building and standing up the company, but also developing content, selling that content, and then actually producing it um, is something that takes, it takes a lot of patience. And it takes a lot of perseverance. I've had some setbacks, but that comes with the territory. Nobody in Hollywood cares what I've done in the sports space. Um, there's been a lot of turnover in, in Hollywood and at, at different networks and streamers that have been the source of those setbacks. Like I had a, I had a scripted project sold um, at a streamer. They had to let it go for uh, reasons beyond our control. Um, I've had projects that I thought were, you know, no brainers either fall through or people have passed. Um, I have a couple of films, feature films that I'm really excited about in particular and, uh, and some podcast concepts that should be coming your way soon. So that's my, that's my baby. That's my real passion right now is inflection point entertainment. Um, and so, yeah, I would say stay tuned, but I'm, we working, we grinding, you know, um, yeah. but it's coming along, but again, it's loving, is loving the process. I love every Zoom. I love every meeting. I love every, you know, negotiation. 
uh, over a partnership. I love every red, red line with my attorneys um, because it's really to, to, to borrow a line from one of my favorite movies, um, Love Jones, when uh, Darius Lovehall said romance is about the possibility of the thing. Likewise, so is content creation. It's about the possibility. It's about an idea, nurturing an idea. It's, it's, it's very rewarding when that thing comes to fruition, but you got to love that, that, that those baby steps to get it to that point. And, and I, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm learning to love it. Maybe Saints fans can love the process that they had to go through last year and how tough that season was to get us through this season. And then the culmination will be being in Arizona in February, right? I love I love that mindset. And <laughs> let's just to bring to bring this full circle from my childhood and, and the ch- my parents' childhood. The Saints as an organization have come a long way when last season is frustrating. Right, right. Yes. <laughs> because perspective because right there. Some old folks that'll tell you you ain't seen nothing. <laughs> Oh, I appreciate the time. It's been awesome talking to you and hearing about what you're doing with Amazon, your company, and you know, get a little insight into your fandom of the Saints. Oh, I'm a fan of New Orleans. <laughs> I love New Orleans. I love the people. I love the community. So I root for them. I've always tried to be like professional and neutral and objective and, Absolutely. and impartial. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, listen, you ain't even from New Orleans and you ours now, right? Like yes. you still like you like you you're you're a New Orleans. We've adopted you. I, I know I know I know Saints fans love you. So, you know, it's uh it, it, it once, once it's in your blood, it's in your blood. I'm always a New Orleanian. I've lived in New England longer than I've lived in that I lived in New Orleans, and I'm always a New Orleanian. This is the better new. Better New Orleans. Right? Well done. Well done. well thank you again i appreciate it thank you this has been so much fun i appreciate you having me saints pete carmichael is in his 14th season as the new orleans saints offensive coordinator after working with the quarterbacks for his first three years here while he's extremely familiar with the offense this will be his first year without offensive mind sean payton calling the plays meaning it'll be carmichael leading the way sunday and for the rest of the season. The players have spoken highly about Carmichael adding to his responsibilities as the tenured OC. Here's running back Alvin Kamara. He Pete, man, he's he, he been the one, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, I, th- I don't think a lot of people know, like, Pete, he, he, was, he was up. Like, he, he's a mastermind, I'll say that. Like, so, you know, um, this offseason with the switch, with, with, with Sean leaving and DA taking over, um, you know, shoot, I went up. I was first at Pete. Like, man, come on, we got to do this. Let's go, let's go. So, you know, he was he was happy to to obviously take the lead on the offense, um, playing, calling the plays. But um, it's not a, like you said, it's not a better or a worse thing. But I like Pete. You know, he seemed like kind of quiet and and relaxed and like reserved. But he crazy, <laughs> and he he definitely. I mean, he he. I think he take pride takes pride in how he calls the plays with uh, uh, tempo and you know just. I think he. He's like a graceful play caller because I feel like he always knows what he wants to do. It's, it's always like setting up for something. Thank you so much for joining me. And now, New Orleans Saints podcast. Appreciate it. I know it's an exciting week, busy week, so I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, you're welcome, and thank you. It's a little bit different year for you going in as the offensive coordinator without anybody else above you. Dennis Allen is a defensive guru. Mm-hmm. Going in, what has been different about your approach to the season? 
Well, I, again, the process of, of what we've done over the last 16 years, that's what I've known as far as when it comes to offensive game planning. And so we've been on the same type of schedule. Um, and so as far as that's all concerned, again, there's so many coaches that are a part of it that are contributing to this game plan. And so by the time you get to the week's end, when situations come up in the game, you feel comfortable with what you're calling. And really there's a lot of um, specific plays that whatever play I'm calling, there's probably a lot of guys that would say, hey, we're calling the same play. You get into like a short yard situation and we've already kind of determined, hey, what's going to be the first call uh, or goal line. So I think that uh, I think that just the overall process, though, is, is when we put the final list together is that um, if there's a couple plays that we're deciding from, I, I make the final decision. So you're calling the plays this year, something you've done before. How exciting, nervous are you going into the game week one? Well, it's obviously exciting, and, um, you know, I'm thankful for the opportunity from Dennis and, and from Mickey to, to be able to do it. But obviously I think that, um, you know, I think that it's, for me personally, there's kind of more during the week, the build of it, but once you get to the game time, uh, you know, you're just you're, you're in the moment of the game, and it just it flows. You've added a couple offensive coaches with offensive line coach Doug Marone, someone who's been a head coach, who's been an offensive coordinator here. How have you leaned on him? What have the conversations been like with Marone here? Well, it's obviously someone with his experience and knowledge. It's been uh, it's been great to have him in the building, and again, you know, we worked back in the early you know uh, stages of our time here. We worked together, and so our relationship has never changed but uh, obviously someone that has has advice for certain uh, situation comes up and uh, maybe he feels like hey you, you could have done something different just from his experience hey when when this situation comes up think about this and, and you know you, you obviously listen and take that um, to heart because it's it's obviously a great recommendation with all the weapons that have been added on the offensive side of the ball this season, with Jarvis Landry being here, Chris Olave, Michael Thomas, just in the passing game alone, how excited are you to have all of those weapons at your disposal? Well, it, obviously, um, again, I don't want to take anything away from the, you know, the guys that we had last year because we had a, a, a great room last year, um, but it's exciting to have those guys out there because you feel um, you know, they're all kind of different guys, but you feel like, hey, you're confident when you're calling a play that one of those guys is going to get the ball and make it work. How do you keep the offense balanced and, and get the decisions made quickly when there are so many options out there? <laughs> yeah, sometimes there are a lot of options, but I think that uh, overall, I think you said it going into a game, you know, what? how are we going to win this game? Mm-hmm. And so you might come away from a game where uh, we didn't get this guy as many touches as we'd like, but that might change the next week. And obviously, like you said, you know, you're talking about several guys that you might get the, the ball in their hands, and um, I think that can vary week to week. Leading into the Falcons, maybe what they do well, don't do well, what's going to be your main focus offensively? Well, I think this. I think when it's the early part of the season, week one, um, you know, just making sure you're, A, you're not, you're not hurting yourselves. You know, you're not, um, you're not you know, having self-inflicted wounds where you're, um, you're, you're trying to execute and then you have a penalty or uh, things like that. But obviously, obviously, um, this defense plays fast. They tackle well. They're competitive. We've got a big challenge in front of us. We talked a little bit about the wide receivers and new additions offensively there, but in Cody Burns, the new wide receivers coach, what have you liked about what he's brought to that room? I think this. I think he's, um, he has great knowledge of that wide receiver position. 
and um, when it comes to how they run routes and the, the techniques that they use. And, and he's a great guy to work with. He's very, um, he's very willing to listen and try to do it exactly how you want him to do it. But he also has his suggestions of, hey, this is, this is how I've done it in the past. And I think he's had a lot of uh, success where he's been. With all of the players that you have, how much are you kind of trying to work towards their individual strengths versus going by what you want to do scheme-wise? I think it all comes down to, A, what the quarterback's comfortable with, but then putting those guys in the position of, hey, what does this guy do well? So let's put him in this spot if we're going to do this specific play. Winston said that you're kind of more by the book. You know, you're not over here on the sidelines drawing up plays in the dirt, which is something that maybe Coach Payton might have done. How do you describe yourself as a coach and your offensive philosophy? Well, I think that, uh, you know, again, the philosophy really hasn't changed over the years. You know, you'd really like to be able to, to run the football and then uh, be efficient in the pass game. Um, and, again, that could change game to game. But I think that um, probably just uh, – I don't know if I don't want to say, uh, but just a little bit more, uh, I don't want to use the word, maybe just a little bit uh, calmer, uh-huh. I guess, on game day. <laughs> yeah, Jarvis Landry said and when me. he got handed the book, you know, it was like the, the toughest playbook he's ever had to take in, the biggest, the most plays. Do you think that you guys have the intricacies that you've had over the years is because it's been so long under the same regime? I think that's, I think the, the playbook started and then it's just kind of grown and grown over the years. Um, and so sometimes it, it's, uh, we got to be careful as coaches because somebody might come in and say, well, why'd you call it that? It doesn't fit the system. Well, we played the Giants that week, so we called it Giant. Mm-hmm. And now we're kind of st- stuck in there with these other terms that, well, that doesn't really fit. So I think that, um, uh, you know, the overall book may be thick, but we've done a good job. Uh, our coaches have done a great job of narrowing down to what we think are our core plays for these guys. Yeah, how often do you revamp it and kind of look through it all? Well, I think at the end of every season you kind of go through it um, and really, you know, there's, there's, there's always good ideas that maybe don't quite fit. So maybe you kind of just push those back in the install or push mm-hmm. them to the side where you could always go back and grab them if you need them but uh I wouldn't say there's a, a ton of change but there's there's some ideas too that you research over the off season that you're like oh look at what this these guys are doing that would fit us and then you might add that generally how long does it take somebody to grasp the concept of, of an offense when you're talking about a rookie like Chris Olave and a newcomer like Jarvis Landry well I think that I think that can vary too based on the player mm-hmm. um and maybe how much you're trying to do with him. Are you putting him in one spot, or is he playing multiple roles? So I think that can all vary uh, by situation there as, as who the player is and what, what you're asking him to do. You feel pretty calm, confident going into this week. I feel like every time I see you, you're always smiling. Oh. You seem like you're in a pretty good mood. <laughs> I guess and maybe I'm just outside the building, I'm smiling. But uh, obviously it's business in there. But uh, uh, I think that I'm real excited with the, the – the coaching staff we got, the players we have, and uh, you know, I, the, the team, the, the chemistry, and everything that uh, you know Dennis and Mickey have created has been exciting. Do you have any feelings towards Atlanta? I know a lot of the fans like to look at them like a rival, mm. and I think it's a little different in the NFL. Rivals aren't the same as they are in college. I think it's a little more heated in college. Well, yeah, I would think that um, you know, obviously, it's a division game, uh, so those games. Uh, oh, listen, every game means something. They all count the same. Uh, division games are 
obviously important. They're all important. Uh, but I think it's, you know, for us, it's one game at a time. Yeah, I just want to get a win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much all for right. joining me. Nice to see you. So much excitement heading into the Saints opener this weekend. I cannot wait to see this team on the field and see what they can do. It's going to be a lot of fun. So tune in at 11 a.m. on NewOrleansSaints.com or across our social media platforms to catch our live pregame show with myself, John DeShazer, and Todd Graffinini. After the game, we'll have postgame analysis and the interviews with head coach Dennis Allen and players. Enjoy the weekend, wear your black and gold, and go Saints. Thanks for listening to the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. Join us three times per week on NewOrleansSaints.com, the Saints mobile app, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. We'll see you next time right here on the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek.